right off the bat is just to make sure that you've got voice enabled on your website. And I don't see a lot of brands doing this yet. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. And today my guest is Steve Weideman. Steve, how are you today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Steve, I wanted to talk today about voice search, but first, specializing in strategic planning for multi-location and franchise SEO campaigns, Steve Weideman of Weideman Consulting Group considers himself a scientist and a practitioner of local and e-commerce search engine optimization and paid search advertising. And so, Steve, before we get right into it, we talked a little bit before the show about all the things that have changed in like the last five or six years about SEO. Do you want to talk a little bit about just kind of what's changing and how voice search has come around, like what it is and, and why people should care about it? Sure, absolutely. And I, I do see that a lot of user behaviors have changed and shifted since this pandemic started. I noticed that there are words that people are, are using now, like delivery and takeout. And I noticed that users are oftentimes on their couches and not in a cubicle. So they have a little more time to explore and to, to click around or even multitask while they're working on other things without worrying about somebody over their shoulder or walking by and questioning what they're looking at. So I, I feel like search behaviors changed in a way that enables those of us who are trying to market something, you know, to, to be more informational, to provide more context, to provide more examples instead of just sort of forcing the sale as quickly as we can. You know, we have a little more opportunity to be convincing and to, to work on context. I noticed that with the brands that closed during the pandemic or at least closed their doors, they might have stayed open for delivery. I noticed a shift, you know, specifically where users had this kind of sense of urgency where they needed food and all the restaurants and grocery stores and so forth were closed. So they were starting to perform searches, you know, like I'd mentioned, like delivery, takeout, car side, curbside. And the way that we address that with, especially with our, our restaurant chains is we actually introduced new pages for each of those different needs. The need for delivery enabled us to, to create pages that were specifically optimized for delivery in the city that the person was searching for. So we'd have our restaurant page and then beneath it, we'd have a sub page specifically addressing delivery with images that show, you know, healthy and, and safe social distancing delivery, you know, showing your favorite foods in, in boxes and containers taped for safety. And same thing for takeout. We had a specific page set up just for those people that just want to get out of the house to get something, but know that they couldn't go in somewhere. And the shift is not just the fact that that happened, but that people are still using those services. They're, they're accustomed to them now. It's been you know over a year and now they don't think about, oh, cool, we can go out. Let's just go out. They're like, hmm, that's right. I can order online. In fact, I can order and have it ready for me at some of these restaurants. So I think, I think that was a big shift that I think also, advertisers and how they're addressing it have really put a lot of time into the imagery on their website, putting pictures of, of staff that are wearing masks that are cleaning tables. So I think I think that was a little bit of, of the shift in terms of SEO and how people are searching and how we address it. That off-premises, I think, played a big role in that. Yeah, you know, I see a lot of the stuff you're talking about from the imagery standpoint, you know, where... I think companies who were quick to adapt went and, and made those changes. And you can even see it in their social media and stuff. You know, there's a picture of somebody holding a box of food or like a takeout box, wearing a mask, you know, that kind of stuff. 
but I was actually pretty surprised at the amount of companies that I saw that didn't do anything. Like their pandemic change was to put like a, a notification bar at the top that said, you know, we're still open for takeout kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of um, glad they did that because it helped my clients out really yeah. during that period. Yeah. So. And our <laughs> clients did great when we made changes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite a shift. And, uh, you know, people sitting on the couch doing that thing. How is that? How does that really relate to voice search? Like, what are people doing and how is ranking? for voice search different than ranking when somebody's just at their office typing into the laptop kind of thing. Sure. Well, voice search is the most useful when you're looking for information. Transactional search with voice is still a little bit new. In fact, at, you know, I, I teach at Cal State Fullerton and, and UC San Diego, and I always ask during the first week for every student, I ask the question of, do you use voice search? And I'd say about 80% of them always come back and they say, yeah, I'm always looking for information on voice search. Next question. Have you purchased anything using voice only without touching your phone? And not a single student has done that. I had one student that actually used their Amazon Echo device, you know, to ask Alexa, you know, to place an order or to add something to their shopping list. But the, the rest of the students, they just aren't doing any sort of transactional thing with their, their voice devices yet. So yeah, the, the effect of it, of course, is you know, right now, the informational side of things allows advertisers to be more informative, to provide more information and context that's, that could be rattled off by your Google Assistant or by your Alexa, you know, provided you have that information and it's shared other places than just the page that you posted that, that short answer on. So, so there's three ways that, that we've kind of looked at search as a is a digital marketing opportunity for businesses and, and how we can really get in front of those users that are starting to use voice devices. I think the statistic was 180 voice devices are being shipped a minute across the world. So it's not going anywhere. People are ordering their Amazon Echoes and they're ordering their Nests, right? And it's just the adoption of it. So the first way is right off the bat is just to make sure that you've got voice enabled on your website. And I don't see a lot of brands doing this yet. Google has it, right? You see it right in their search box. There's a little microphone. You click on the microphone and you can voice in what it is you're looking for. So if you're driving and you happen to have an Android device, you just click on the little microphone, voice in your, your query on the website, and you're good. And you can you can actually interact with the website. That voice API, from my understanding, is free. There's free options for doing that. Number two is is addressing those sort of short answers or featured answers that appear in, in, you know, the organic world. And you're, you're an SEO, right? You know, the featured snippet to get there, you know, requires, you know, about what, 375 characters or less of a short summary somewhere at the top of your web page. We're historically as, as, you know, marketers, we're trying to keep people on our page and sort of lead them on and tease them. And at the very end, we give them the answer they're looking for. Those days are over, right? We need to get that summary right there at the top. In fact, if we're smart, we'll put a little copy to clipboard icon right next to that short summary so that other people can share it and curate it. And Google will crawl around the internet and find those short answers everywhere. And if with any luck, uh, they'll think that our answer is the best and they'll rattle it off as what 70% of the voice answers come from that featured answer snippet. So I would say go back to every single page on your website, get some sort of a, a short answer, short summary, short checklist of what you, know, you imagine being in that featured answer, that position zero in Google that will be used for some of those voice searches. Number three is, is starting to spend some time playing with the Google Action Console and the Alexa skills. Uh, it doesn't take 
a lot of time to set up an account. It's pretty easy. You create a little developer account. You play around with it. Last year, I spent, I don't know, three or four days goofing around with it. And we were able to create a whole experience for one of our clients just for fun, just for experimental. We took we took the customer service questions that people were asking. We ran surveys and we asked people questions about what they were looking for and why they chose us and what the common questions were that people asked. And we created voice answers to those questions so that when they do start to interact with voice and they interact directly with the, you know, the app that we create within Amazon Alexa or, or you know, the, the whole Google Assistant, that it's customized to what we want to tell users, not just a guess or a search result of what Google is going to display. So I would say I would say those are the three areas that are going to be the most important for businesses to start kind of addressing the way that users are shifting to more of an untethered search environment is really to make sure their site is voice ready, make sure that their pages all have that short summary and that they're trying to get that short summary shared everywhere they can. And just starting to experiment with the different things that you can do within those different voice assistants. I think that's that's really that's really where the future is with voice. It's still a lot of trial and error. I wouldn't panic. I wouldn't jump in and say, hey, we need to go spend $100,000 right now and make sure that people can order online and that people can book reservations. Uh, they don't know to do that yet. And fortunately, Google's uh, users of, that use this technology are, are still just using the basic invocations, right? They're saying, you know, hey, Google, get me this. Hey, Google, get me that, right? They're, they're not actually using invocations like talk to. Matt, they're not, they're not saying, hey, Google, talk to Target, right? They, they just aren't doing that yet because Target and those other brands aren't educating their users that that functionality is even available yet. But they will, and that's something to prepare for. Right. The kind of voice search capability that you mentioned, like having the little microphone on the search, is definitely something that you know, you don't really see anywhere except for major search engines. You know, maybe you see it on Amazon and stuff or in apps. But I think that's going to come along. I think, you know, as the plugins for WordPress and Wix and whatever other site builders come along, that's going to help, right? Hey, don't use that W word with me. I know, <laughs> I know. But there's, you know, even like Shopify and stuff like that, right? There's plugins for those. I don't think that they're very prevalent yet. You know, you, people aren't aren't really thinking about that, even though they're using it, which is, you know, something that happens in marketing all the time, right? People are, are, are not that they don't act like their customer and they don't look at their own behaviors and then plan for the for that behavior. But I think there's a way that you could really stand out, especially in a highly competitive local market by using voice and and making it apparent that you have voice. I remember we did a kind of a pretty basic experiment where we had built an app for events that are coming up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, we built an Alexa app for it. We ran a small like hundred bucks worth of Facebook ads that just had a video of me invoking the app and then listening to what events are coming up. And, you know, we had like two or three hundred users. You see, you're, you're educating your visitors. See, I, I wish more businesses would do that, man. I really do. Yeah, we just did it as a test. And, and you know what? It was interesting that we were able to get users so quickly on it and you know, we didn't we didn't really go far with it. That's not really our business. And that's not why what we were trying to build. But we we're just kind of, you know, playing with the technology to see what it can do. And, you know, it's funny, I do have an app on Alexa that's still up right now that I built that's called Dungeons and Dad Jokes. So the next time 
just uh, ask your Alexa to open Dungeons and Dad Jokes, and it tells jokes, dad jokes related to Dungeons and Dragons. That is amazing. Pretty much the nerdiest crossover you can imagine. <laughs> so here's a question for you, and this is a question I get asked pretty often when we start talking about snippets. The snippet, right, is that little information, you know, when you type something into Google and it comes up with the answer without just a link. A lot of times, and it, it used to be worse, but it seems to be getting better, that it wouldn't have the website to go to, right? Like you would just get the answer. Knowledge graph. Right. The knowledge graph wouldn't give you a link back to where they got the answer from. So isn't that just killing traffic to your own website? You know, it depends on how you look at it. Is that traffic really traffic that immediately converts into customers for you? Because most of those snippets are informational. They're not transactional type queries, right? These people are just looking for a, a short answer. And yeah, if, if they did get to your website, sure, you could trigger some remarketing or try to entice them with a sidebar banner or something, I'm sure. But if you were to go back and look at the traffic that was going to pages that you might have lost traffic from when that happened, you'll notice in most cases that conversion rate is really, really low. So why why I still like the snippet, even if it doesn't have the URL, is it is it builds brand authority? It, it people when when that happens, it usually means people are copying or curating content from your website, you know. And, and we look at as at older SEOs like you and I, we look at links as sort of being the most important off-page signal. But the reality is, you know, the the snippets of information that that search engines find that they know originate from our website do have some level of correlation to, you know, authority and, and expertise and, and trust signals that you hear a lot about. So there's a, there's a lot of that, that benefit that comes from, you know, having that featured answer, even though you're not getting the traffic, you know, the fact that you're the featured answer, the fact that Google's going to say, according to, and then mention your brand, you know, when they do voice off that answer, uh, I still has, I still believe it has great value to, you know, overall SEO brand awareness. And I don't think it's hurting conversion rates at all. I think, and it's not, it's not always just the, the featured answer snippet we're talking about, right? When we look at holistic SEO, one, we do want to make sure that in the beginning that we are using some search terms that, you know, are, are prevalent to what our, our users are searching for. So that that initial crawl, you know, helps us to, to show up in search results. We do want over time, other websites to link to us because that off-page signal is still going to be important over time as you you know develop that pattern of, of new links coming in. But it's also, and this isn't talked about much in the SEO industry, it's a little frustrating. There's a lot of naysayers. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for folks like Michael Martinez of SEO Theory, but he's a huge advocate of there being no search behavior signals, right? He's really big on, you know, it's about tech and it's about content. Like, well, those things will get you to the top of the search results. But ultimately, when we look at the long-term tests that we've ran, it really is how users interact with your listing. Do they click on your listing more often than competing listings? And do they stay on your webpage? And the great thing about some of these snippets, especially those with URLs, is that, you know, we, we stand out in the search results. We don't look like just a standard title and description in URL. We have you know, FAQs right below our listing. We have star ratings. We've got a video or an image thumbnail, especially on mobile. We have things that really make our listing stand out so that we get that higher click-through rate. And provided we've actually 
provided a delightful experience on our webpage and they stay there and they don't go back to Google. Now, we were talking about this a little bit before the show and ways that people used to trick users into not being able to go back to Google. But provided they actually stay there and they say, hey, this is a, I had a good experience. Over time, search engines see that they, they measure that that whole search behavior to see, you know, was this a good result for my user? Did they come back and choose someone else or did they stay on that listing? So I think I think in the scheme of things, the, the snippets are a fantastic way for us to to get higher CTR and to really sustain long term keyword rankings and, and just forgetting about the content and, and the links over time, you know, and, and letting that search behavior just continue to improve. I, I really think people in especially in the SEO world and I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I'm not going to name any names of anyone, but there <laughs> seems to be like the incumbent, right, who have been in search for a really long time and they've ranked thousands of websites using nothing but a little bit of kind of site structure, content modeling and backlinks. Right. And then you've got the kind of newer to SEO people who are in the the content bandwagon, right? They're they're saying, I'm going to analyze all the other content that ranks and just make content that's better than all of that content. And that's what's going to get me ranked, which I mean, may or may not work. Probably a combination of the two is the best, <laughs> right? But they all seem to be avoiding the fact that Google has been telling people, you know, for the last... 18, 24 months about all of the brand mentioned stuff that they're, you know, looking at talking about, you know, people being mentioned in print or being mentioned on, on like the radio or something, right. How they get that information. I have no idea, but <laughs> they get it. We, we have a client who's hundred out of a hundred on core web vitals and page speed. And he's got, he increases conversion rate by 300%. His content's fantastic. He, there is no reason when we do a side by side comparison of every single attorney that he's competing against, he has by far the best page. We even ran surveys and asked, but he's not ranking because he only focuses on SEO. He will not do any other sort of advertising or marketing. And we're trying to show him. We actually took, uh, we did two things. We, we used the Google Keyword Planner and we put in his competitor names into the Keyword Planner to see what the search trend is with his, his name as part of that. So we have, you know, five or six of his competitors in his name and his name searched less than a hundred times a month and his competitors are searched, you know, hundreds of thousands of times a month because they're doing other types of advertising. We also looked at in search results, we took a quote, the competitor name in quotes, right? And the keyword, say car accident lawyer. And we saw how many times Google found the, you know, those two things in their search results. And it was like for their competitors, 4,000, 5,000 times they found you know, that phrase and their brand name, you know, in, in content and you do the same thing for this attorney. And it was like 11. Right? And so it's so obvious, you know, when you've got the best page, you've got, you know, not over optimized, but perfectly optimized content for users and for search engines. There's a lot more going on right? than than just having the best page. And and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do feel that's an area that's that's neglected. But I also feel like it's an area that has a lot of, of really spammy black hat things going on. We've seen for feature snippets, even we've seen old services that you probably haven't heard of in 10 years, like you know, SE Nuke and stuff and those sort of things where they're blasting out their featured answers across all these crappy, useless websites and then linking to those crappy, useless websites so that search engines will crawl to them and find their instances. We actually saw, saw a few in the Rolex industry where a competitor 
had over 10,000 instances of their short answer so that they would have the featured answer in Google by spamming the, the hell out of the internet. And so I emailed John Mueller. And I'm like, there's got to be something you can do about this. They're not backlinking, right? They're not using spammy backlinks, but there's nothing in their guidelines that says you can't just blast out garbage all over the internet and then link to it to try to get your little featured answer, you know, to, to rank. And so these these types of things are happening. There's, there's a, a network, a friend of mine came in uh, a month ago with somebody who said, check it out. I created a network of phones that you can access to perform searches and clicks to to basically manipulate search behavior so that you can rank number one. And I'm like, but that's not sustainable, right? Well, as soon as Google finds out that that's just stopped all of a sudden because you stopped paying for that service, it's going to raise a flag, right? He's like, yeah, but as long as you keep doing it, you'll be number one. And I'm just like, man, there's so much spam happening where people are are just you know, manipulating and getting away with it, that it's exhausting. And you, you can email all day long, but I think the reality is a lot of users, unfortunately, are moving to paid search. And that's just, that's just how it is. Maybe that's why they're not addressing it. Maybe they want users to move to paid. I don't know. <laughs> that's for another podcast. You know what? This is just my opinion, but I think that Google wants in, at least in some cases, for certain types of search I don't think that they want the results to be necessarily great. And that's a hard thing to say because I know everybody says that Google wants the best answer to the question to rank number one. However, if they did, they would stop that shit, right? But they haven't. And the reason that they haven't is because somebody's paying them to put ads above it that are a better answer. Yeah. And unfortunately, even with some of these local service ads, we've, we've seen a, a pretty significant decrease in overall performance in paid and organic and, and especially in really competitive industries, you know, they're making up names of people who work for the company to try to get all three of the carousels in those local service ads. And, you know, the, just the whole ecosystem of, of search is so vulnerable to that sort of manipulation. You know, fortunately, we do have we do have help. You know, there are the, the Google My Business product experts. We work with Ben Fisher from Steady Demand and he'll he'll pluck those, you know, spammy listings out in a heartbeat. But there's just not enough Ben's in the world to, to handle all the spam that's going on. It's funny. I didn't know you knew Ben. I know him, too. All right on. Yeah. Ben and I are buds. Nice. Shout out to Ben Fisher. All right. So the 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 local index, I mean, it is terrible for spam, right? But it, it is sort of industry dependent. It's also seemed to be dependent on locale, right? As soon as you get out of a major city, like local spam is almost gone. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And the, the biggest problem that Google has when it gets into rural areas is getting businesses to put themselves on the local Google My Business, right? So a good example is where I live. There's probably... I'm going to say there's 10 plumbers in the area, but there's not a single one on Google My Business. That's strange. So if I want to find a plumber, I got to go onto a Facebook group and say, does anybody know a plumber? Right. <laughs> and then they tag them in posts or they say, call this guy. He's not on the Internet. Matt, you got to brush the dust off the old yellow pages. <laughs> they have a yellow pages here. People use it. They have a white pages, too. That's amazing. I know it was a miracle. Uh, somebody, I saw these two guys at the grocery store. The guy says, hey, I'll call you later. And he says, what? You don't have my number. He says, I'll just look you up in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Those are like, the best booster seats in the world, though. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, my God. You know what? I have an old yellow pages that holds up my laptop so that my camera is taller. But anyway, I guess we should probably <laughs> stay on point. 
Stay yeah, focused. Let's, let's get back a little bit. We'll, we'll rein it back in. So local search, though, if you have a local business and you're not on Google My Business, get on there, people. And it's free. It's free. <laughs> yeah, it's free. And man, if you can get up there, you can crank out business from that thing until Google someday decides that they're going to switch and not use the map pack anymore. But that's a whole other story. Oh, they'll, they'll keep using it. It's just going to be paid. I mean, you're already seeing the ads in there. So, yeah, it's. <laughs> Eventually, it's going to be, well, they're starting to do it with Google Preferred or Google, what is it? Google Screened. Google Screened, that's what they call it. They're not really screened. It's just a effing background check that anybody could do. But anyway, yeah, Google Screened that they pay for. That That's going to, I mean, it's just going to irritate me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did we did talk a little bit about voice search and, and kind of how that that's evolving. And as, as we mentioned, I, I definitely recommend businesses do spend some time to goof around with those three areas. Just experiment. I don't know, maybe lock down 10 to 20 minutes a week just to go into those three areas and see how they're doing with with location and, and multi-location. The four areas that I would hold your your digital marketing team accountable to uh, would be making sure that your business data is accurate, either using a Bright Local or a Moz Local to manage the databases that host that information. Two would be just making sure everything that you put on your Google My Business page is available on the page that you're, you're providing to Google My Business in the URL section or the URL field. Uh, third would be just making sure every month you're you're getting your data out there, whether it's in local directories or your general business directories, your Yelps and your trip advisors and those sort of things. And then the last part is is really trying to maintain a healthy velocity of positive reviews that are coming in because that search behavior signal, nobody's going to click a one star listing. And we want to make sure that every month we're showing people that you know, that we're online, that people are leaving reviews and that we're responding to them either with a thank you or, a, you know, hey, I'm sorry you had that experience. Please contact us right away and we'll take care of it. If you're focused on those four areas every month and growing, at least on the on-page and off-page and reputation side of things, there's no way you're not going to be number one in six to 12 months from now. But you know, like you mentioned, Matt, it is it is a longer term process and isn't something that, you know, it's going to happen overnight. Yeah, it is a moving target too. So there's there's definitely things that people have told, you know, business owners they should be doing that they shouldn't anymore. You know, and there's a lot of things like Google My Business. If you're managing it yourself, I mean, you should be logging in there at least once a month to see what else is in there because they'll add fields that you can put in. Yeah, we, we actually noticed that in our study, Matt. We we did the study to see why a particular another attorney was wasn't able to get in the first or second position in the map pack. And the study showed that the one that seemed to be in the number one spot, unfortunately a little bit of a loophole, was one that actually had the, the focus keyword as part of their business name. But it wasn't a fake name. They actually changed the name of the business to include the search term in it. So it was, you know, so and so personal injury lawyers. And, and that's okay. And and it and it worked and in our study and Unfortunately, those are the number one. The number two was exactly what you mentioned. It was those that were using those special COVID fields, you know, the, the special hours of operation, the, you know, are, are you open for, for in-store visits? You know, using those fields seemed to be the, the thing that Google is looking for for that second position. So one, you know, being the, the most relevant, maybe having some sort of signal in the name that shows users and search engines that that's what you do. And then two, using those extra fields generally in our research showed you'd have the top two positions just by doing that. Yeah, there's there's definitely some some tricks in the Google My Business world that work 
And there's some spammy tricks that definitely do not do. One of those things that's recent that came up and people call them different things, but I like the SEO crop circles. Have you seen that? Where what they'll do is a company will make a Google My Map. That's where you make a map for yourself that you make public so other people can see it. Well, they'll make a ring of those around an entire city and every single one goes to your business. Oh my gosh. However, that's not a signal anymore. <laughs> so now you, you can still buy those on SEO sites and you can buy them on, you know, Fiverr and stuff. They'll be like, we're going to make 9,000 maps that point at your business. Well, it's worthless now. Do you remember what Jim Rohn said? Jim, Jim Rohn, my favorite quote from Jim Rohn was that you don't have to do extraordinary things to be successful. You only have to do ordinary things extraordinarily well. And it's going to be frustrating when you see a, a spammy competitor beat you. But that spammy competitor, when they do get caught, that's going to stay part of their permanent record, right? That they did that, that they, they did something to violate the guidelines. That's a, a permanent thing that they, they chose to do. So if you can just grit your teeth and, you know, report the, the spammy listings and just try to do all the best things that you can do by including new images and store images and videos and things that you think would be really helpful to your customers, get your customers to participate by asking them to share their feedback on a specific service or product that you purchased while you were there, using the frequently asked questions and engaging in some of the Google My Business posts. You know, if you if you do all the right things and using all the tools that are available to you and you keep nurturing them over time, you know, you're, you're going to build a redwood, right? A giant tree that's going to last a thousand years versus the competitors that are going to keep trying spammy things, get removed, change their business name, start a new domain and do it all over again every six months. So I don't know. I think just just do the best you can to be authentic. And I know um, just by watching our, our own account histories, you know, that that it works. It, it does take time. It takes a lot of patience, but it's it's a good feeling knowing that you're not cutting corners and taking shortcuts. Yeah. And man, search is changing all the time, but the kind of basics, the fundamentals don't really change. And that, you know, those fundamentals, just like you were saying, is good content helpful content, honest content, things that other people want to share from your website that will generate, you know, links back to you. And, you know, kind of the 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 hidden hero and, and what's up and coming as people are starting to discover it is that PR is turning into uh, a big part of SEO just because of the amount of backlinks and, and media mentions that you can get from a, a good PR campaign. A real PR campaign, not a PRweb.com or PR log or, you know, that's those are the, you know, the whole farmer, you know, uh, Panda update, I think, put the kibosh on using press releases. In fact, Matt Cutts and I years ago had a, a little thread on Twitter where I, I said, hey, how come this competitor who's only doing press release distribution, you know, is outranking our client who's you know been trying to build authentic organic links? And he said, I wouldn't worry about those press release links. We don't. We don't use those. <laughs> I'll send you the, the link to that thread just so you can kind of see the history on it. But it, it was definitely a, a sigh of relief. And uh, he was right eventually that that ranking changed and our client moved up. I think the difference that we're, what we're talking about, if you want to identify it in the PR world, is a press release that is sent out for SEO purposes is not valuable. But a newswire release is valuable if the content that you put out is interesting enough that someone will put it in their publication. Yep, absolutely. If it's super boring and nobody cares about it, nobody's going to pick it up, you might as well not bother. 
Yep. I think I've, I think it's some really good press release ideas of things like a study shows that X equals Y, right? Or just, just something where you can take proprietary data of your own. Like we work with public storage and one of the things that helped us create unique content was taking information out of the database that only we knew about our customers and about our open locations and putting that content on the local pages. So it would be unique. And the same thing I think goes when you're doing any kind of press is share something people don't already know. Right? I think that's, that's kind of the, the, the key idea there, whether you're doing something unique to your industry, innovative, you performed a study or did some research. Those are the kind of things that I think are, are press release worthy and can get shared. Yeah, absolutely. I had e-releases on the show recently and they have a good little PR course that mentions some of that stuff, like how to how to generate a good press release and stuff. And we're not affiliated with them at all. They don't pay us or anything. (laughs) So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Sure. So I'm, I'm everywhere on social as SEO Steve. If you want to, ask questions to anyone on, on our team of nine over here. You can look for any of the, the Wiedemann handles, W-I-I-D-E-M-A-N. If you just want to talk to me, I'm SEO Steve everywhere. We also, I didn't mention this earlier, Matt, but we also have a free uh, course that we set up. It's like a little masterclass for people who do want to learn a little bit about SEO. And we've I took the course that I, I taught at Cal State Fullerton and created a, a cool little kind of six week thing. If, if you're if your listeners are interested, I'm happy to give free access to it. It's just that Academy of Search. Just use promo code SEO Steve for free access, and they'll you know shave six hundred dollars off the marketing budget for you. So feel free uh, if if you'd like to check that out. I'd love your feedback on it. It's exchange for you know checking it out. Please you know send me notes and how I can improve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for being on the show. It's really nice to talk to somebody else in the SEO industry so that somebody else knows what I'm talking about for a change. (laughs) (laughs) I love shop talk. It's always fun, man. We should definitely do it again. And uh, I have more rants that I'd love to to do with you. So it'll be fun. We will. I love ranting. Maybe we'll have you on uh, on our live show, the Business Builder Throwdown sometimes. That'd be rad. Yeah, let me know. Which is live every Thursday. Okay. At... uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Atlantic, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Fantastic. All right, Steve, thanks for being on the show. And we'll have the stuff in the show notes at hookseo.com slash podcast. And you could get a hold of Steve at SEO Steve or Academy of Search.com. Thanks again for being on the show, Steve. Thank you, sir. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.